Hey, good morning, Grace Hill family. Uh, hope you guys are doing well this morning. Happy New Year. Uh, really hope that you guys had a great Christmas. I pray and I was praying for you that it was uh, restful. Um, I am really eager uh, to get into the scriptures uh, with you this morning. Um, you know, it was a it was a tough week this week, and I think in God's providence, um, He has some things He wants to teach us in the scripture that we were scheduled uh, to study. Uh, this morning. And so to get us started this morning, uh, actually what I want to do is introduce Kathleen Ferris to you. Uh, She is going to read our scripture for us and open us in prayer. Good morning, Grace Hill family. I'm Kathleen Ferris, and today's scripture reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. This is God's word. Will you pray with me? Father God, some of us here today are grieving the death of a loved one or a job loss or maybe just the loss of a sense of normalcy. Remind us, Father, that you do indeed see us, have compassion on us, and love us. And so fill us with your love that we in turn see and have compassion for others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, thanks, Kathleen. Really appreciate you reading the scripture for us and leading us uh, in prayer. Uh, Grace Hill, I'm going to be honest with you this morning. This is going to be one of those mornings where it is going to be really hard to preach uh, this sermon to a camera lens. And and that's just simply because I want to be with you. Uh, I I wish we were just in the same room. I wish I could see your faces. I wish we could give each other hugs uh, on the way in and out and and just be together uh, as a church family uh, this morning Um, because, you know, it's been yet another hard week in our country. And this morning, I I do feel as if uh, God wants us to talk about what happened and he wants us to go to the scriptures to know how to think about it. Now, listen, I know it has been an exhausting season you know, politically, pandemic, and, and, and all of us are tired of talking about things like this. 
Um, but unfortunately, uh, what happened Wednesday um, is, is a big part of the national narrative. Um, it's something that our neighbors, our coworkers, our uh, extended family, your church family, it, it's something that people are thinking about and trying to process. And the way the church responds is so consequential to how we love our neighbors. So I, we need to talk about it. And I've always told you, right? I've always told you that if the world is talking about something and God's word has something to say about it, then we as the church need to talk about it too. Uh, last Wednesday, I was working uh, here in our offices where we are uh, right now. And um, when I began to see the reports of what was happening at the Capitol, and uh, I remember I was watching it with with Evan and with Nick and in the office, and it was you know one of those days where it kind of felt like your productivity you know took a nosedive because you're just watching what's going on. And I remember sitting in, in utter disbelief, and and I I honestly felt a, a lot of anger, um, just my personal reaction. And when it was all over. Um, I braced myself for what was going to come this week. And it's what we saw, right? More division, more name calling, more polarization, more misinformation, more attempts to use this tragedy for political purposes and and gain. And so uh, as I began to to think and pray uh, about uh, what to say this morning, how to lead us as a church, you know, I... I started to feel this growing sense of caution inside of me, you know, like, like Alan, be, be cautious about what you say, right. To to make sure you don't offend anyone. Uh, It it might be best. It might be easier if we just don't address it or, or maybe we just pray about it and then, and then kind of move on. After all, right, our church, Grace Hill Church, and I'm thankful for this, is politically diverse, right? We've got many people in our church who supported President Trump. We have many people in our church who supported President-elect Biden and, and all kinds of people in between. People are tired of politics, right? So why bring this into church again, right? I know we feel that. And then it hit me. It hit me that the problem that we have today in our country... The problem that we have in our neighborhoods, the problem that we have in the church, maybe is that we're too cautious. Because our aim is to keep the peace. All right, l- let me explain what I mean by this. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot straight with you right now this morning. I'm going to do something that might bring up the temperature a little bit, but don't tune me out. All right, all right, this is why I wish we were all in the same room because then you couldn't escape out the door. All right, so don't tune me out of Facebook or log off the Zoom call or, or get out of YouTube. Just hang with me for a few minutes, right? Because I have a reason for saying what I'm going to say. Here it is. Me personally, this is me. This is Alan, all right? I did not vote for President Trump in 2016, nor in 2020. Now, that does not mean that I think it was wrong to vote for President Trump. If you listen to the sermon I preached the Sunday before the election, I explained that as Christians, what I feel like we're called to do as followers of Christ is to be prayerful, be sincere, be informed, And then go cast our vote and do that according to our conscience, which means we're going to have people in the church that vote differently. And we did have people in the church that voted differently. Now, now here's the deal. 
I know that when I do something, like talk about how I voted, what it does is it inserts into this sermon right now a lot of nervous energy, right? You feeling it, right? I, I'm feeling it, all right? I'm shaking a little bit. Maybe some of you listening all of a sudden lost respect for me, right? And you've got a lot of questions now about what I believe or policies I support and what about this? What about that? You know, whatever. Maybe your respect for me increased a little bit because you made assumptions about me before this moment. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, point for my team, right? I hope that other team is feeling a little defeated because our pastor just revealed that he's on this team. I'm I'm on no team. Maybe you're just nervous because this might lead to conflict in our church, right? Oh, hey, Alan, let's just not do this. Isn't this just going to divide us? Normally, we are pretty cautious about these kinds of conversations, right? There's just certain things you don't talk about at church, right? Right? Don't talk about money. Don't talk about politics. Don't talk about race. Don't talk about parenting styles, Don't talk about vaccines, (laughs) right? These are emotionally charged topics and it's just better to avoid those, right? Let's let's study the scriptures and, and keep the peace. Keep the peace. Is that our aim in the church, right? Keep it on the surface. Don't bring up the things that we're passionate about because it, it might reveal our differences. So let's keep the differences buried. Let's pretend we're united when actually maybe there's division. Is that the kind of unity that God wants us to have in the church? I've become convinced that not only in our country, not only in our neighborhoods, but yes, also in the church. We are not equipped to engage in honest conversation about these things with each other because I think we lack the instinct of compassion and empathy. Right? When someone says something that offends us or we don't agree with, right? It's more common to have the instinct of casting a judgment or making an assumption about someone or or kind of shoving them to a particular team or side and distancing ourselves from them rather than engaging them in a way that compassion and empathy would lead us to. So for example, uh, a few months ago, uh, President Trump said something on national TV that that really hurt someone in our church. And then that person then posted something on social media that upset other people in our church. Now, it was understandable why this person was hurt by President Trump. What he said was inexcusable. It was also understandable why others in our church were upset at what that person posted. Now, Many in our church wanted to know from me what we were going to do about it. And I said, nothing. I said, there is someone in our church who is hurting, wounded. So before we ask the questions of judgment, what are we going to do about this? 
why don't we start to ask the questions that compassion and empathy would lead us to ask first? Go to them with empathy and grace and seek to be a healing balm to their wound. Oh, what an opportunity that is to find unity in the midst of things that we may not agree on. That's the power of something like compassion and empathy. Another example, right? There was someone in our church who had a lot of questions and concerns from the sermon that I preached on the election. And this particular person reached out to me before assumptions or judgments were made. So we jumped on a Zoom call for a few hours. We talked, we heard each other, wrestled, assumed the best, right? This person asked the questions that compassion and empathy would lead us to ask. And we had a great conversation, right? Found unity. I was so thankful for that. As a society, we are severely lacking in having instincts of compassion and empathy. And we are drunk on the instinct of judgment and assumptions. Right? Like, what would it look like if the church of Jesus Christ said, Yeah, enough of that? Right? Enough of the fighting, enough of the judgment, enough of the name calling and the whataboutism, enough of writing people off, enough of snarky comments on social media, enough of keeping the peace, of just trying to do that, enough fake unity. We are going to be people who start with compassion and empathy before we make judgments. We are going to be people who aren't threatened by different opinions. We are going to be people where there are no off-limits topics. How many people would be attracted to Christ if his people lived that way? How healing to our nation could it be if the church was known for this? Well, this morning, I want us to go to the scriptures and learn what true compassion and empathy really is. As I said earlier, in God's providence, we were scheduled to study uh, Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17. We're in a sermon series going through the gospel of Luke that we returned to last week. And this is our next passage. And this passage has a whole lot to teach us about compassion and empathy. So Kathleen read that for us a bit earlier, but I would like to read it for us again. So if you have a Bible, open that up to the book of Luke, gospel of uh, Luke. And go to chapter 7, and we're going to read verses 11 to 17 together, and always, as always, it will be on the screen for you. All right, let's look at verse 11. It says this, soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples in a great crowd went with him. As Jesus drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the beard. It's an open casket. And the bearer stood still and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up 
and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen among us. And God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and the surrounding country. Now, as we look at this passage, I want us to learn from Jesus about compassion and empathy. And, and there are just a few nuggets in here that I, that I think are going to help us understand it. So Jesus had this crowd of people following him, his disciples and a bunch of other people following him. And they come to this town name. And as they arrive at the gates, they're met by another crowd, a funeral procession of people who are grieving over the death of a widow's son. Right. So the text tells us that this man was this widow's only son. So not only has this woman lost her only son, we also know at some point she lost a husband. And in this society and in this culture, this means that this woman was now very vulnerable to poverty and abuse because she didn't have a son or a husband to provide or protect her. And so Jesus sees this woman and the text says that he has compassion on her. Now, this word compassion is a word that we're familiar with in the English language, but I'm, I'm reading our text this morning from the English Standard Version. And, and I actually think the NLT, the New Living Translation, captures what is going on here a, a little better, right? Because the version, the NLT says that Jesus' heart overflowed with compassion. And the reason why I think that is a better translation is because the Greek word here for compassion in the text literally means that Jesus was moved, affected in his inward parts, right? The particular verb here being translated as compassion actually comes from the Greek noun for entrails. And so what the text is telling us here is that the kind of compassion and empathy that Jesus experienced when he saw the widow, that it was an embodied experience, right? And you can't get more genuine and authentic than that because you can't manufacture an embodied experience, Right. Let let me give you an example. Like, for example, my my wife, I don't think she knows I'm going to say this. I'm sorry, baby. My wife finds Internet memes to be hilarious. Right. And it doesn't take much for her to belly laugh at these things. She just finds it hilarious and it's funny to watch her. And so what she'll do, though, is she'll come and show me these memes that she finds hilarious. But I just don't find most of them that funny. And so I always feel awkward because I don't want to not laugh. I want to laugh with her. But you can't fake a true laugh because when you find something actually funny, it's an embodied experience. And it's obvious when it's genuine, right? Or the other day, right? I was out late at night for something and I, and I got home. So it was dark outside and I was walking up to my front door to unlock the door. And this animal, I never saw it like shook the bushes next to me, right? It scared me to death, right? I, I jumped hard. And, and what's hilarious, I actually have a front door camera. So it was so funny to watch me jump from the camera and we have the recording, right? That's an embodied experience. You don't fake that. Your body took over. And our text this morning is teaching us that compassion and empathy are embodied experiences, 
When Jesus saw that widow, his stomach sank. His chest got heavy. Tears, I'm guessing, not sure, started to well up in his eyes. And nothing mattered to him in that moment other than that woman. He couldn't help it. It was an instinct. His compassion wasn't manufactured to teach his disciples something. It it wasn't manufactured so people would be impressed with his ability to raise people from the dead. It wasn't manufactured so he could craft a particular image. No, the fact that it was an embodied experience proves that it was genuine because your body doesn't fake things, right? We might use our body to fake emotion like a fake laugh, but when our body reacts before our thoughts, that's not fake. And then what we see Jesus do next is he moves towards this woman and her son in the open casket, right? He moves towards them. And he touches him and then raises the man from the dead. So not only was Jesus' compassion and empathy an embodied experience, it also led him to act not out of concern for himself, but out of concern for the widow. Right Under Jewish law, it would have made Jesus ceremonially unclean to touch a deceased person. What Jesus did here was against custom. Right, It was probably shocking to everyone in the funeral procession and in the crowd that Jesus would do this. It's probably shocking to his disciples, right? I could see his disciples having their own embodied experience of, whoa, 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 Jesus, don't, don't touch him. Jesus was doing something that... People didn't do. But Jesus wasn't thinking about being ceremonially clean. He wasn't thinking about what other people thought about them. He was having an embodied experience of compassion and empathy. And his instincts took over that caused him to move towards this widow and do something in love. So so based on our text here. This is the definition of compassion and empathy that that I think we get out of this text. Right here it is. An experience where your body takes over, causing you to move towards someone and do something out of love. Right? Let, Let me say that again. This is compassion and empathy. An experience where your body takes over, causing you to move towards someone and do something out of love. And the claim that I am making this morning is that as a society, we are severely lacking in this. And instead, we have well-trained instincts of casting judgment and making assumptions about one another. But do you want to hear something crazy? just Just think about this. God, the one who created everything. The one who is sovereign and knows all things. The one who knows you more than you know you. He knows everything you have ever done. He knows your true motives. He knows your true thoughts. His instinct towards you, when you reach out to him, is one of this kind of compassion and empathy. Think about that. 
That the same way Jesus moves toward that widow and the son, he moves towards you in the exact same way, knowing everything he knows about you. Not judgment. He's not cynical towards you. Like, just think about that for a second. If anyone would have the right to pass judgment on us, if anyone would have enough knowledge about us to make a case for why we were not deserving of such grace or compassion, it would be God. Yet when you reach out to him, his reaction is to move towards you and to love you. Right, in, in Luke chapter 15, we, we read of the parable of the prodigal son. Right. There's this son who, who represents us in uh, the parable and uh, he takes his father's inheritance. Right. And the father represents God. Right. And so this son disowns his father, takes his inheritance, goes off, sins like crazy, blows everything and finds himself poor and hungry and ashamed of himself. So the son comes home, wants to see what would happen if he would draw near to his father. And the text uses the same word that we just studied in Luke 7. The father sees his son drawing near and he has an embodied experience and literally runs to his son. It was not custom for wealthy older landowners to run nor to show their ankles. But that old man hiked up his cloak and took off. Because he was having an embodied experience and he embraced his son. And you need to know this morning that this is the illustration God picked to put in the Bible to communicate to you how he feels about you, no matter what you've done. That's the image God wants you to have. An old man running through the fields with his ankles, with his ankles showing because he's having an embodied experience. Despite God's knowledge about you, he moves towards you with compassion and empathy. It is because of compassion and empathy that Jesus hung on the cross suffering so that you could be reconciled to God. God doesn't excoriate you, excoriate you first. He doesn't shame you first. He doesn't get snarky with you first. He doesn't list all of your wrongs first. He moves towards you, embraces you, saves you, makes you his child. You need this compassion and empathy from God. And you need it also from your church family. And they need it from you. Right, That's one of the ways we stay grounded in the gospel. We stay grounded in the love of God. We as a church family love each other with the same kind of compassion and empathy that Jesus models for us here. What this means is that compassion and empathy always, 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 always comes before judgment and assumptions. So let me give you an example of how this could play out this week and how we could do this this week. Wednesday was a traumatic day for many of our minority brothers and sisters. As they watched the footage of the Capitol attack, they 
they saw people carrying banners that said Jesus on it. Jesus saves and Jesus 2020. Right? And they also saw those same people carrying Confederate flags. And they saw a noose constructed on Capitol Hill. And they saw people wearing shirts that said 6MWE, which stands for 6 million wasn't enough. It's a reference to the Holocaust. Now, I'm a white person. I'm a person part of the majority culture. So even though I was horrified at what I saw on Wednesday, I did not see a group of people that hated who I was, nor people that were a threat to me and my family. But our minority brothers and sisters saw something different. So even though I was horrified, my experience was different. And so church family, what are we going to do with that? Are we going to make assumptions and judgments and accuse people of always bringing up race or figure out ways to invalidate that? And no, they didn't mean this. And Or are we going to have compassion and empathy because we have brothers and sisters who were wounded on Wednesday? I talked to them. And they need a church family who will listen and move towards them with compassion and empathy. A church family who will be safe for them to feel that. Are we going to move towards them and bind their wounds? Or are we going to hold back out of defense of ourselves? Oh, what an opportunity to love and care for our brothers and sisters. We should run towards that as fast as we can. It's easy to have compassion and empathy toward one another when tragedy strikes, right? And that's good. But imagine if we built up the instincts of compassion and empathy when we disagree with one another or we don't understand one another. And we have this embodied experience of moving toward that person, seeking to understand, wanting to know their story, wanting to learn something from them and hear a different perspective. Like imagine the unity that would create. Right? Let me ask you, is there someone in the church that you have formed some sort of negative opinion of? Uh, Maybe it's because of something they said on social media, or maybe it was because of something they said to you, or maybe it's because of the way they behave or, or the way they parent their kids or how they talk. I don't know, whatever it is. What would it take for you to set that opinion aside and move toward that person with compassion and empathy? Desiring to know their story. Desiring to know how you can love and serve them. Desiring to be the kind of friend that you would desire from others. And listen, I know, I know. I, I said that compassion and empathy is an embodied experience that you can't fake. Well, I believe that the way we build this muscle of compassion and empathy, this instinct for others, right, to where it is this instinct, And the way we diminish this instinct of judgment is by practicing. 
which means doing that humbling work of identifying the people you're casting judgments on and moving toward them in love. And here's the deal. Listen, we all got people that we judge and make assumptions about. We all do. There's not one of us, myself included, who, who doesn't have people that we make judgments on, right? We all do. No one gets out of this one. No one is too good for this. But I promise that you will be shocked by the friends you will gain, by the unity that will be built up in the church, by the things you will learn and the perspective you will gain, and the more joy life will become for you, the more joyful it will become for you. If you take that instinct of judgment, take it out back, Shoot it and start moving towards people with compassion and empathy and practice that. Even when it's hard, even when you don't think people deserve it. In the church, we can choose to be cautious and keep the peace, right? And and we can all have like our list of people where we know. You know, okay, so these are the, 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 the people who support Trump. So, you know, be careful over there. These are the people oh, who supported Biden or, or to be careful over there. And these are the, oh, those are the anti-vaccine people. So be careful what you say there. And, oh, these are the conservative and, or these are the, oh, they are only about homeschooling. And we just have this way of, of getting people shoved into these groups of opinions, And, okay, this is what we can talk about. This is what's safe here, here, and here. And we can cautiously know, like, what what can I talk to about with who? So we can do that. Keep the peace. Be cautious and just kind of have these divisions that we're not going to point to and pretend that we're unified. Or maybe a better idea is to build a culture where we move toward each other with compassion and empathy, where we're curious about each other's lives. We build actual unity amongst our differences and we're okay with nuance and some differences. What a testimony it would be to our neighbors and to the world if this is how the church of Jesus Christ loved each other. Because listen, our neighbors need compassion and empathy as well. And Jesus has called us to love our neighbors in the same way that he has loved us. I mean, imagine with me if the church had the reputation in our town where people said, man, those people over there at Grace Hill, those are the most unassuming, easy to talk to, kind, non-judgmental people I've, I've ever encountered. Those people actually listen to me. They're curious about what I have to say. You know, I never feel like they're trying to get a word in or just make their case. I feel like they truly listen and try to understand me. Imagine what would it be like if we built that kind of reputation in our community, if we built up that kind of instinct, right? When our neighbor is in need or when our neighbor wants to talk, that, that we have this embodied experience of compassion and empathy and we move toward them. How much credibility would that add to our testimony? So church, our, our country's in a tough spot right now, right? Things are, are really tense, but we have an opportunity to be a light in a really dark time to one another in the church and to our neighbors. And so I want you to know 
that as long as I'm lead pastor of this church, and I know I speak for our other pastors and elders as well, that this church will be a safe place for you to wrestle with things. It will be a safe place for you to name your struggles. There won't be any political or ideological prerequisites for you to be loved, cared for, and accepted here. It will be a safe place to wrestle with the dynamics of race. It will be a safe place to make mistakes and be forgiven. We will be a church that is always striving to grow in our compassion and empathy. And I want to be a pastor. And and again, I know I speak for our others. That will shepherd you with compassion and empathy. You can come talk to us about anything. Anything. Even politics. And so church family, if the God of the universe is willing to love us with the kind of intensity of an old man sprinting through a field to get his son. Then we can love each other more radically than we ever thought. And what our country needs now more than anything is a local church filled with people who love each other and love their neighbors, just like Jesus has loved us. Grace Hill, you are loved way more than you know. Let's love each other well. Let's love our neighbors well. It will be good for our souls. And so here's how I want to end our time together this morning. Normally I just pray, but I would like for uh, us to pray together. And so if you are joining us on Zoom, uh, what we're going to do right now is we're going to break you out into your breakout groups. And I want you to pray together. Now, if you're uncomfortable praying out loud, that is totally fine. You are not obligated to pray. You can just sit there silently and hear the prayers. No problem. And if you're not joining us on Zoom, if you're on YouTube or Facebook, I just encourage you, we'll put a slide up for you. Just pray through these things that we're going to put uh, on the screen. But I have a few things I want us to pray for. I want us to pray for our church, that we would accept the compassion and empathy of God, that we would have compassion and empathy with one another, and that we would have compassion and empathy on our neighbors. So I'm going to give you several minutes now to pray together. And then when we're done, we're going to close our time out in worship. Go for it. Grace Hill, I want to leave you with this as we go into our weeks together. Psalm 121 verse 7 and 8 says this. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Grace Hill, we love you. We miss you. May God bless you this week, and we'll see you next week.